Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Sunday Seconds with the Duke here on the MHM Podcast Network. Each episode, we give you our white hat review of films starring the Duke, John Wayne. I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. Our black hat wearing friend, Chris, has once again been hauled off to jail by the U.S. Marshals. So Patrick and I will be reviewing today's episode, The Comancheros, all by ourselves. Uh, This film was a Sorry, yes. and you're not going to mention that we haven't done a John Wayne film in like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. Sorry for all of our fans out there. We have uh, been doing other podcasts, yeah. but we're back to talk about the Duke. Yeah, we're shanghaied by the Comanchero, who didn't allow us to do podcasts for a year and a half. <laughs> well, today's film, The Comancheros, was officially directed by Michael Kurtz, uh, and it was indirectly directed by John Wayne himself. Today's film also featured John Wayne, Stuart Whitman, Ina Balin, and the late Lee Marvin. But before we begin, Patrick will bring you a summary about this Lone Star adventure. All right. I think everybody you just named is all late, by the way. Oh, damn. I didn't even think that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 1961 film. I know the Duke is late. <laughs> He's definitely late, but I don't know. I just think Lee Marvin's dead. I don't know why. All right. In 1843, New Orleans, gambler and womanizer Paul Regret engages in a duel with Emile Bouvet over a woman. Regret inadvertently kills his opponent, even though he fires to wound. The witnesses inform Regret that Bouvet is the son of a local judge, who will undoubtedly seek the death penalty against Regret for the killing. Regret immediately goes on the run and begins to head to Texas. Along the way, he travels on a ship and encounters encounters a mysterious woman named Pilar Grail. Pilar is a wealthy woman who is used to getting her way. She's attracted to regret and proposes that the two of them begin a sexual fling. But she doesn't say that exactly. Despite his freelancing ways, regret begins to fall in love with Pilar. At the next port, Pilar leaves regret behind on the boat, and regret is captured by Texas Ranger Captain Jake Cutter, played by John Wayne. Regret asks Cutter if he can say goodbye to Pilar, but the younger man finds that his potential love has left him. Cutter begins to transport Regret back to Texas Ranger headquarters. Along the way, Cutter and Regret stop at a homestead of a group of settlers that Cutter knows. The settlers have been massacred by the local Comanche tribe. Cutter and Regret give the settlers a burial, but Regret takes advantage of the situation and clubs Cutter in the head with a shovel and escapes. Cutter wakes up several hours later and heads back to his headquarters empty-handed. Once back at his headquarters, Cutter is given a new assignment to impersonate a gunrunner known as Ed McBain to infiltrate and learn the location of a group of Comancheros, a large criminal gang that smuggles guns and whiskey to the Comanche Indians, 
allowing both groups to keep the Texas frontier in a constant state of violence. As McBain, Cutter joins with another outlaw, Tully Crow, played by the late Lee Marvin. <laughs> Crow and Cutter yeah, develop... Still dead. He's still dead. Yes, still dead. Crow and Cutter develop an uneasy alliance, but the hot-headed Crow eventually turns on Cutter after he believes the lawman cheats him out of money in a card game. In attendance at the card game is Regret, who does not reveal Cutter's identity as a lawman. Cutter kills Crow in a shootout and then rearrests Regret. On the way back to Texas Ranger headquarters again, Cutter and Regret stop at a ranch owned by one of Cutter's friends. The ranch is attacked by Comanche. During the attack, Regret suddenly rides off on a horse, causing Cutter to believe that he is escaping again. However, Regret returns a short time later, leading a cadre of Texas Rangers to the attack. The Rangers fight off the Comanche, and in the aftermath, the entirety of the Rangers' organizations vow to lie to protect Regret. They each falsely swear that Regret could not have killed the man in the duel because he was acting as a Ranger to spy on the Comanchero supply line. The Rangers then swear in Regret as an official Texas Ranger. A short time later, Cutter and Regret impersonate one of the Comanchero's suppliers and head out into the frontier. Cutter and Regret are followed by another Ranger, Toby, who keeps tabs on them from a distance so that he can report Cutter's progress to the main Texas Ranger forces. Cutter and Regret soon encounter the Comanchero forces and are captured. They are strung up and forced to suffer the heat of the desert. However, Pilar appears and orders the two men released. Pilar is the daughter of the ruthless Comanchero leader, Grail. The handicapped Grail is skeptical of Cutter and Regret, but agrees to his daughter's desires, recognizing her attraction to the young Regret. Not long after, Toby is captured and killed by Comanchero forces before he can relay Cutter and Regret's location to his commander, Major Henry. At the same time, Pilar agrees to help Cutter and Regret escape her father's custody but Cutter refuses to leave without arresting Grail. Cutter steals a gun from a random Comanchero and confronts the criminal warlord during dinner. Pilar begs for her father to leave with them, but Grail refuses, stating that he will not abandon the criminal organization that he built. Cutter holds Grail and his henchman, Imlung, I can't even, uh, how you pronounce that, Imlung, at gunpoint, whatever, and the entire group attempts to leave under the cover of darkness. On the way out of the camp, Grail yells out for the assistance of his men and awakens the entire camp. The mother of a man who was executed by Grail earlier in the film runs up to the wagon and stabs Grail in the back, killing him. Heimlung jumps off the wagon and rejoins the common sheriffs. Regret drives the wagon away with Cutter providing rifle cover from the back of the wagon. They are pursued by the common sheriffs and the Comanche. Regret accidentally crashes the wagon, and just when things look dim for Cutter, Regret, and Pilar, the rangers arrive to save the day. During the last skirmish, Imlung tries to kill Cutter, but Regret shoots and kills the assassin. A short time later, the rangers clean out the common sheriff's headquarters, and Regret decides to leave the rangers and rides off south towards Mexico with Pilar. And that is the common sheriff's. Very good, very good. The Comancheros was released on November the 1st of 1961, roughly the same time as Bachelors in Paradise and King of Kings. This is maybe the weirdest uh, movie I've ever had to try and find numbers for, so bear with me. 
It was made for an est- or it made an estimated ten million dollars at the box office on a budget of four point two million. The five point eight million dollar profit is the fifth highest for a John Wayne film, behind How the West Was Won, True Grit, The Sons of Katie Elder, and Rio Bravo. The ten million dollar gross ranks sixth among John Wayne films. Uh, How the West Was Won was first, True Grit second. The Alamo was third, Sons of Katie Elder was fourth, and Rio Bravo was in fifth. The film did reach number one at the box office for the weekend of November the 29th of 1961. But what's odd is it was never in the top 20 for 1961 or 1962. So I'm trying to figure out when in the hell it made all of its money. (laughs) And when in the hell did it hit the box office rankings? Because it was nowhere. Uh, Let's see. This was based on a novel by Paul Wellman, then scripted by Claire Huffbaker or Huffaker, and then uh, re-scripted by John Wayne's favorite scriptwriter, James Edward Grant. And let's see here. Internet Movie Database gives us a 6.8 out of 10. 79% of the Google robots actually like this movie. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 75% audience score. And, ladies and gentlemen, it's a 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, six, but it's only six yeah, reviews. I was going to say six reviews because that's <laughs> the minimum to show a review. Exactly. So that's the numbers I have for the Comancheros. So let's see. I remember watching the Comancheros multiple times as a kid, but haven't seen it in about 30 years. Uh, this film has a number of what I always car- characterized as uh, cowboys versus Indians gun battles. And these battles always stuck out in my mind. Uh, I love them so much. I didn't remember the details of the storyline, who the characters were, or the fact that nothing in this film looks like Texas at all. <laughs> but after Watching the film this time around, I'm confident the Comancheros influenced Jim Jones and a number of cult leaders in the future years. But I have to ask you, Patrick, what was your history or what is your history with the Comancheros? And what were your initial thoughts during your viewing this time? You, you know, it's not it's not one of the John Wayne films. I saw a lot as a kid, you know, the, the, you know, like El Dorado and sons of Katie elder. Uh, those are the ones, you know, the man who shot Liberty Valance. Those are the ones I remember distinctly as a kid. This is one that I may have saw once, maybe twice. Didn't see for a long time. And years ago, probably around the time we started talking about doing a John Wayne podcast. I know I watched this one and North to Alaska on the same weekend and I, I, I was struggling to remember, I mean, even now, other than seeing it, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I, I don't, I cannot honestly say that I can recall seeing it as a kid. Uh, what I find interesting about it is I don't see this as a John Wayne film. Uh, it, to, Paul Regret is the lead character in this film by far. And Jake Cutter is a supporting character that is along for the ride. I mean, he, he moves a lot of the action, but, you know, Regret is the, who the film starts with. Regret is the, you know, the character who leaves at the end with the girl. I mean, it is very, very distinctly not a what I would say a John Wayne film. Right. And if I remember correctly from what I read about the novelization, that it was indeed a uh, regret film and then cutter was just a secondary character he was a secondary character who got beefed up 
for this uh, film to make it a John Wayne movie, if you will. Yeah, and it seems like it. It was, I mean, along those lines, you know, legendary status. Hey, we've got this film. We've got this character. This is who's going to play it. Well, who are we going to get to play Jake Cutter? Oh, uh, John Wayne's interested. Whoa, whoa. Oh, well, Wayne's interested. We've got to, to keep him interested. We're going to have to add a, a lot to this storyline. I mean, that's that that's happened historically in a lot of films. Like off the top of my head, uh, the The Devil's Own with Brad Pitt. It was a Brad Pitt film. And they needed a Robert Duvall type of mentor character for the character. And they got Harrison Ford. And the moment they got Harrison Ford, it was like, we need to rewrite this film to include a lot more of Harrison Ford. And it became pretty much a Harrison Ford film at the same time. Yep. Good example. Good example. Well, as we just said, John Wayne portrays Jay Cutter, an honest Texas Ranger who is tasked with bringing Louisiana murderer Paul Regret to justice. Along the way, uh, Cutter gets caught up in a gun-running scheme with uh, regret and uh, ends up uh, going undercover to stop a crime lord who is feeding renegade Comanche Indians with weapons and firewater. As we said, along the way, Cutter the widower, who has doubts about working for the Rangers and wants to return to his uh, ranch life, uh, eventually gets his way once uh, the final battle was done but i have to ask you so what do you think of john wayne's captain jake cutter in this film patrick and is it one of his more memorable roles or is it somewhat of one of his more cliche roles it's it's cliche it's not one of his memorable roles and that's why i don't think the common Cheros is known as one of his most memorable films it's not up there with rio bravo it's not up there with true grit it's not up there with the man who shot liberty valance or the searchers you know this is this i can blur in with a lot of other john wayne westerns that came out around the same time frame there's nothing distinctive about his individual performance now that being said it's not a bad performance john wayne it, it, you're talking about an actor who was very comfortable being typecast and very comfortable playing a very similar character in each film and he plays it to the John Wayne excellence. I mean, I, I like the character. I don't have a problem with the character. Uh, it's, it's just that there's nothing, there's nothing challenging or distinctive about this character in any way, shape or form as to, as compared to like the characters he plays in searchers or the man who shot Liberty Valance or true grit. Yeah. I must agree there. Well, cutters friend throughout this quote unquote friend <laughs> throughout this film is a riverboat gambler, as we mentioned by the name of Paul regret. And in my opinion, it has to be one of the dumbest surnames in film history, but it is. is. Regret is played by Stuart Whitman, and he's a gambler who is not quite a cold-hearted criminal, but is willing to do whatever it takes to stay alive, basically. I remember Mr. Whitman as the lead in one of my favorite quote-unquote monster movies, which is Night of the Lepus, where he and Janet Lee and DeForest Kelly battle a herd of giant mutant rabbits. Look for that, kids. That's a fun one. I like Mr. Whitman in today's film. He gave the vibe of a slimy gambler with a heart who isn't really a bad guy at all. Uh, He wasn't one of Wayne's most memorable on-screen partners, but he wasn't one of the worst either. I've seen many, many worse partnerships that John's had. So what are your thoughts about uh, Mr. Whitman as uh, Paul Regret in this one? 
I agree with you. I hate the name, uh, but it's, I mean, the, I thought the actor did a decent job. I mean, it, it, people did not go in the day and probably even to this day to what and watch a John Wayne film typically for great acting. You know, they came because they, there was an expectation and they usually, that expectation is met. John Wayne didn't, you know, he didn't do a lot of other films with a lot of other really, really great actors. Uh, you know, th there are exceptions, obviously, James Stewart and the man who shot Liberty Valance. Uh, I will say Lee Marvin. I, I love Lee Mar Marvin as a character actor. There was not enough of him in this. Uh, but I thought Paul Regret played the role. He's supposed to play kind of the young heartthrob, the womanizer, if you will. Uh, and he, he does okay. You know, he's not he, he's not off-putting. I, I think that he has good chemistry with John Wayne, but he, he doesn't have that sense of danger, if you will, like, Oh, you can't, you can't really trust him. I mean, when he rides off during the Comanche attack, I did not believe he was running off as a coward. I, I believed he was running off to get help and, and he was so, and that's, you know, he, he is a heroic character and he's somewhat written that way the entirety of the time, even the opening scene, you know, if he hadn't stepped, you know, he's talking about the duel. He said, if the guy hadn't stepped where he stepped, he would have been, you know, I only would have wounded him and not killed him. You know, he wasn't intending to kill the guy. So it's, it's, you know, he, from the moment he's on screen, he's nothing but a heroic character. And, and I, I think he does an okay job with it. We don't see very many good duels in films today. I'd like to bring back the duel. That was fun to watch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always like the thought of the duel to handle a grudge. Yeah. That was sort of. Well, the big bad in this film was a soci sociopath criminal, uh, Grail, who uh, established his own secret society, uh, murderers, tramps, and thieves deep in the heart of Texas. Grail's daughter, Pilar, goes out and recruits criminals for her father, I guess, using any means necessary, including seducing marks like uh, Paul Regret. Uh, what do you think of this specter-like criminal syndicate, the Comancheros, as the big bad in this film? Well, I like the idea of the Comancheros more than the practical reality of what they created in the film. That, that hey, there's a group of organizations out there that, you know, running supplies to the Comanche, kind of emboldening them to attack a lot of civilized society, if you will, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a fair characterization, but that's what it would have been in the 1960s. And they're working together uh, to just create, to keep the frontier as dangerous as possible uh, so that they can profit off that. Now, Grail as a character, I don't think he plays the heavy very well. I, he, he does. I mean, and it just, it's, it's, it's weird that, they chose to make him handicapped living, you know, in a wheelchair. It's because uh, it, it, even that visualization is like he meet, he is not, I'm trying to think of it. He is not, uh, you know, blow, blow felt or any, you know, where there's yeah. a visual handicap, but you know, a, a, a dastardly mind, a very, a, he, I mean, he seems very, very easy to exploit and has obvious weakness, his daughter, uh, which Cutter and Regret immediately exploit and take advantage of. And, you know, of course, she was willing to just have a fling with Regret on the boat, but suddenly falls in love with him once he's in her camp. And it's just, I mean, there's an inconsistency to that character, but I never think Grail is quite the heavy that this film needed to lead a large criminal uh, organization. Now, his lieutenants seem to be m much more cutthroat than him uh, and kind of mm -hmm. are advising him. And I think that they, they're more believable as 
you know, a leader of a criminal organization than Grail was himself. Yeah, because I was thinking this was sort of a head of its time. If you take, say, organized crime of the, if you take mafia type movies or organized crime type movies out of it, and you think about the old West and this being the 1800s, I mean, this was like well, well before its time in a way. And so I thought it was a good concept and a good premise, but very, very bad in terms of execution because Grail just doesn't seem like a bad guy. I mean, he 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 doesn't seem ferocious. They show him killing people or hanging people and all that, but basically he has the Comanches doing all of his dirty work for him, mm-hmm. uh, which I understand, but yet it doesn't really pay off that he is the really – the real evil person, uh, using them as a shroud, if you will. It, it, he just doesn't seem devious. He doesn't seem evil. He just seemed like a weak old man who somehow convinced all these people to do stuff, which is fine. I mean, that's the premise. That's the storyline. But you got to give us something that connects it all, where he's willing to, say, kill off Pilar or kill off uh uh, Am- Amalung or whatever his name is and show that he truly is devious and evil and that's why these people are working for him. It just seemed a little bit uh, light, if you will, for a big bad. No, I, I don't disagree with you on that. I absolutely I think that's a, a fair assessment is he's just he's kind of a, a wimpy uh, lead villain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, legendary film and TV actor Lee Marvin has a small part in this film, as we said, as Tully Crow. Very small. <laughs> yeah, very small. Uh, he's a career criminal who was the middleman between gun dealers and Grail's criminal syndicate. For me, Crow's time in this film may have been short, but Marvin's presence loomed large. I loved how they showed him his head as if he was scalped. And it was a the scalping that didn't take, if you will. Uh, his gig is what convinced uh, John Wayne to recommend Marvin for the man who shot Liberty Valance. So I loved watching Lee Marvin and almost everything he did. This one, no exception. His small time on the screen was great. What did you think about Mr. Marvin in this film? Well, I I love Lee Marvin as an actor. I I think he was underappreciated and I know a lot of people really like him and you know, he, he lived in Tucson. So I, I grew up hearing stories of people encountering him all over the place and he seemed to be like a really really good guy like he's always engaging uh, the locals if you will like about the high school football team and he, he very much was part of the community so i i that i kind of respect about the about the guy you know it's it's weird when once he hits the screen i'm expecting to see lee marvin in a kind of a lee marvin-esque type role and this is very much a supporting role a very very small supporting role you know, it, he he obviously acted with Wayne again and the man who shot Liberty Valance has a much more significant role playing Liberty Valance. Uh, and then he was also in Donovan's Reef, where he has a significant role as well with John Wayne. And I, I guess this is where their friendship or their camaraderie began was with this film. But he's only in it for not maybe not even 10 minutes. Um, yeah, maybe, uh, it's yeah, it's it's really, really short. And I was kind of like, well, there went Lee Marvin. And I was really looking forward to seeing more of him in this. You know, that's so I like him as an actor. I liked him in the role in the film. A little stereotypical, but I was disappointed that he was his character was done and over with. 
Right. Same here. I, I always liked him, uh, even in his older or his roles in his older or later years, something like a Delta Force or something like that. I mean, he always had a presence. Yeah, the big, and, the yeah, big red yeah. one. One of my all time favorite war films, the big red one. He is such a presence <laughs> in that film. Yeah, I mean, he stood out. You could definitely tell he was an actor, but yet he, you could believe his shit. <laughs> he just looked like a guy who. It was who he was on screen and off screen, as you were trying to say uh, about his presence in the community. So I always loved watching him when he popped up in this one again. I had forgotten he was in it. I was very, very happy to see him and see his kooky character because it definitely wasn't something typical for Lee Marvin. No, not at all. Okay, so let's talk about controversies because we have to have a controversy (laughs) section in this podcast. The film's director, Michael Curtis, uh, was stricken with cancer and couldn't work every day of the shooting. Uh, when Michael wasn't available, John Wayne stood in and took control as the director. Uh, Wayne, like he did with Big Jake 10 years earlier, or 10 years later, excuse me, got the job done, but refused to take uh, directing credit. Um, a very honorable gesture by the man who was uh, known to take control of movies uh, that weren't directed by John Ford or, say, Howard Hawks. He seemed to take control of everything else in the movies. However, it was reported that John Wayne, a staunch Richard Nixon worshipping uh, Republican, uh, reprimanded assistant director Tom Mankiewicz for wearing a JFK button on the set. The Duke told Mankiewicz, quote, I'd take that button off if I were you. We don't advertise socialists on my set. So uh, what are your thoughts on Mr. Wayne having a heart of gold when it comes to the director, but is still being a dictator when it comes to his politics? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, obviously throwing his weight around on how who is going to work on a set and how you're going to present yourself on a set. I mean, that's he historically has that uh, reputation. I, I really I mean, I think I agree with you. It's just this constant contradiction of that. I'm not going to take credit. Uh, for directing this film, I'll allow the actor who, or sorry, the director who unfortunately couldn't do it for health reasons uh, to have their name on it as sole credit. But then to say, hey, you know, jackass, you're not going to wear that you know, political button because it's in opposition of whatever my individual views are. I mean, he wore his politics on his sleeve. You see it in many of the storylines of the films, especially during the 60s. And I'm I'm not surprised by it. It's it's not the first and only time it's happened. It's not the worst controversy about uh, John Wayne. I mean, there are other actors historically who live with their politics. And depending on your political views, you know, you, you got a Susan Sarandon or a Sean Penn in the film. You know that there's a political slant to almost anything they're doing at any point in time. And, and they like to work with like-minded people. So I don't necessarily have, you know, like it may not be my politics, uh, but it, I don't necessarily have an opposition of saying, hey, I don't I don't want you to do that. Uh, going as far as calling someone a socialist, uh, that seems a little ridiculous. But you're coming out of the, you know, the communist red scare of the 50s, you know, the witch hunts. So, you know, this it was a very, very different, different political environment than what we live in today. Exactly, exactly. Well, before we go today, I want to have some fun. This is one of those movies, like I said earlier, that I loved because of all the fight scenes and the battle scenes. Other than a few moments where you have some weird choreography, like three guys all shooting their guns simultaneously, hitting three uh, Comanches in a row who are lined up on their horses in a row, and they all fall off their horses simultaneously. 
this is one of those films that I just love watching Westerns where they have great gun battles and fight scenes. And you sort of feel like the battles are realistic. And they shot this primarily in Utah, if I remember correctly, in in a setting where it allowed them to set up the fights and make them look real as if you're in a big arena. And I always loved it. I loved the smoke. I loved how everything was set in this one. Um, they came off great with all their gun battles. I had to ask you, what did you think about the action in this film? Because that's the most memorable thing about this from when I was a kid. I always saw this as a classic uh, Cowboys and Indians movie and loved the gun battles and still do to this day. So what did you think about them? I mean, it was okay. I, I mean, I like a good battle as long as it's supporting the story and a battle for battle's sake, sometimes it's just like, eh, what, you know, okay, well now we're going to have a random battle. And they had a few in this one. Um, the one at the end, obviously the big battle when, with the Texas Rangers and the common Charles and common uh, Comanche all at the same time, uh, chasing regret and cutter is probably one of the more interesting ones, but like even the, the battle at the, the homestead where regret runs off to get help, is it to me it's like you went to a lot of effort to create that battle just to make this character heroic who i already believed was heroic and i was wondering if there's a way because that's the second homestead that you know jake comes across with regret (laughs) that's being attacked been attacked or is going to be attacked you know and it just seemed like okay this seems to be we're treading over to the same territory again i I don't know if there's a way that you can have consolidated that and made that one scene although the first homestead you don't see the attack you just see the the ramifications of it the the second one was we have to have this battle so that regret can be seen by the rangers as heroic and then suddenly okay we're, we're willing to put our professional reputations on the line for you uh, because you saved one of one of our guys one guy because the other the, the other rangers weren't there only cutter was there and he saved some other people too which was a good thing but there weren't any other rangers there yeah this is true yeah that was one of the fun things uh, i thought they did a good job with as you're talking about is they show you the first homestead where it's been ravaged um and death and you, you know and uh, cutter mentions that he saw the little girl who was killed um, and her family. He knew them personally. So he sort of, they set it up. And then the second battle at the second homestead or the first major battle at that homestead, you sort of set it up. So, you know, okay, you have the Comanches coming at the homestead, you know, what could happen. And they had a decent little gunfight there. And I, I always appreciated that one that they set it all up. I agree with you. They sort of set it up for regret to look like the hero ultimately instead of the bad guy who's trying to get away for at all times. But then you get to the final one. I just sort of really like that final one where, as you said, you had the factions coming together. You had the Comanches, the Comancheros, and the Rangers all fighting against each other, trying to make sure they are not killing their own uh, with friendly fire or anything like that. I just thought it was really, really cool. And then you had the people who Grail was uh, holding hostage or holding down, if you will, turn on him and ultimately get their revenge on him. It was just one of the more interesting battles that I'd seen in one of these films in a long, long time and didn't seem too scripted or out of place. Yeah. So ultimately, yeah, it's one of the great things I loved about this movie is all the gun battles and I recommend if anybody really likes all these action type John Wayne movies, this was a good one to check out. 
All right, final thoughts. Uh, and on a scale of one to five gold stars, how many do you give the Comancheros here, Patrick? You know, it's, as I said, it's kind of, it's an average film. It's average and it blends in with a lot of other John Wayne Westerns from the same time frame. Uh, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It, it has some drawbacks, uh, but ultimately I will say, eh, I'll give it three, you know, right there in the middle. It's, it's, it's a three star film. It's very, very average. I, I, I love John Wayne films, so there's a comfort level I have with them. This does not, you know, this is one that I would say I, I get some comfort in watching it. It's not a great one. Uh, it's not the one that I would say, oh, if someone is at, wants to see the best John Wayne film, this ain't it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still not the the Barbarian, the Geisha, you know, so it's not <laughs> the worst by any stretch of the, the, the imagination either. So, yeah, three stars. Oh, I'll agree with you on the star count. Uh, I'm around three, maybe three and a half. I just really like the battles, as I said. I, it's not John Wayne's most memorable character ever uh, as Cutter. Actually, I had forgotten his name until I rewatched it. Um, and regret, I regret that they gave him that name. Interesting character, uh, but not the Duke's greatest partner in crime in any of these films. Uh, like I said, I missed Mr. Marvin's character. I wish it could have got expanded a little bit more, but it was what it was. But overall, this was a fun watch again. Hadn't seen it in about three decades. Glad I got to watch it again and then talk about it for this podcast because it's it's not as political as some of the movies we've reviewed recently on here. And uh was just a lot more fun getting back to that whole look, look, looking at the old west or even before it became a united states territory looking at what was supposed to be texas and um trying to figure out uh what was going on in those lands or those those days of old time western law and order you know fun times all right it's time to mosey off into the sunset so please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five silver stars on that page as well. If there's a John Wayne film you'd like for us to review, and we promise we'll get to it one of these days, uh, please send us an email at comments at moviehousememories.com with your suggestion. Additionally, if you like today's review, you can find many, many more Sunday Seconds with the Duke episodes on moviehousememories.com, YouTube, iTunes, and everywhere you find our favorite pod, your favorite podcast, and our favorite podcasts. Until next time, I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. Thanks once again for listening. And remember, there's more to being a cowboy than just wearing the boots. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Sunday Seconds with the Duke, Guts and Bourbon, is brought to you by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. 
All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Sunday Seconds with the Duke, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.